what is the thing that actually grows a company? It's really about having a cohesive marketing strategy and taking people through that process. The actual tools that you might use during that process could vary from company to company, but you're taking people from brand awareness, consideration to conversion. Hello, everyone, and welcome to No Fat Cats, where we believe in helping you continually get better, never sitting back on your heels, just coasting through life, but always learning and improving. I'm your host, Wesley Dean, and I love helping creatives set goals, create a plan, and execute consistently. Today's guest is StoryBrand Certified Guide, Evan Knox. Evan is the founder of Caffeine Marketing and a small business investor. Caffeine Marketing makes profitable marketing easy for companies. And as an investor, Evan helps small business companies double and sometimes even triple their bottom line. If you haven't heard about StoryBrand, you gotta check them out as they are one of my go-to resources for marketing tips. But before you do, listen to this episode with Evan. As a StoryBrand certified guide, Evan brings a lot of great tips through walking through elements of their framework and helping you understand how to use it. We also dive into tips for using social media and making sure that your content really stands out. We also talk a lot about developing a sales funnel. If you work at all in any kind of sales, recruitment, or fundraising, you need to have a sales funnel. You need a process of engaging your audience, building a relationship with them, and eventually asking them to commit, whether that's making a purchase, signing up, or donating. If you don't have one, this episode's for you. And if you have one already, but want to make sure that yours is even better, then this episode is also for you. But now, let's jump into it and get into my conversation with Evan Knox. Hello, Evan Knox. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Hey, what's up, Wesley? Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. All right. So I know you run uh, kind of two domains with Caffeine Marketing as a digital marketing agency and Evan Knox. Uh, dot com. Uh, just tell me a little bit about the work that you do first with uh, caffeine marketing, and how did you first get into uh, business marketing that space? Okay, so let's go back to when I was probably twelve um, years old. I think I was somewhere around there. My grandfather owned a jewelry store, so like diamond rings, watches, all that stuff. My dad also was in the B two B space in the jewelry industry as well. Um, so I grew up in a family of like business owners, um, and you know had other. Uh, great grandparents and grandparents that were entrepreneurs. So that was normal for me. It's kind of like growing up that way. And I had always started like, you know, I hate to sound cliche here, but like the lemonade stand and selling golf balls to the golfers on the golf course or hiring my friends out to go mow lawns for other people and taking a cut from it. So hey, that's the way to do it. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I remember one day, this is kind of funny, but I was like lugging a lawnmower out of the back of my truck when I was 16 and I was like, no way. I was like, this is the worst because I could barely lift it and put it back up in there. And so I was like, I have to hire some other people to do this besides me. So that was kind of funny. So I, I just loved business. Um, I always thought that that's like a, a hobby or a profession that I wanted to pursue was like just entrepreneurialism in general um, and starting different businesses. I didn't know what that would look like. I, re- I mean, feel like that's just a really hard concept to grasp and get traction on, but Fast forward to about four years ago, I was working at a nonprofit in Charlotte and I was doing part of my role, probably half of it was marketing. And during that season, unfortunately, my dad had passed away um, and my, my grandfather was about to retire. And I thought, you know what? I can't help my dad anymore because um, he's no longer with us uh, or my grandfather, but I can help other small business owners like them with this marketing skill set I have. And so that's why I decided to start Caffeine Marketing. Um, and then that's been awesome. I've been around for, I think, uh, three to four years at this point. And I also, um, evannox.com is just my personal investing. So I'm a partner in a couple of different companies and invest in small companies to make them profitable and 
um, so far it's been really great. We've two to three X, a lot of companies revenue and it's been a lot of fun. No, it, it is really interesting when you can kind of go back to people who are naturally entrepreneurial and just loved, you know, doing this. One of those things I always find interesting is, you know, when you look at kind of developing countries where everyone's an entrepreneur because they have to be, um, right. just cause there's like no jobs. But then when you look at other countries like the U S you know, not everyone is built out to be an entrepreneur and few people, mm -hmm. fewer people choose to be entrepreneurs by choice if given other options, but it sounds like you've just loved it from the very beginning and, and just been super passionate about it. Yeah. So maybe some other more nuanced details in there that I think bring it more realistic is that I, when I left high school, I went and joined, joined an organization called YWAM, which stands oh, for yeah. the mission. Yeah. So you're familiar. Um, and basically what I did is like, it was like a mini missionary or whatever you want to call it. I was got to basically be a missionary for like six months yeah. without committing my whole life to it or a couple of years. And that was awesome. Um, and then I left there to go join their university program in Colorado. Um, ended up meeting my wife there and I worked at a church there for a while and then eventually moved over to Charlotte and then back down to Atlanta. I never had a college degree at this point. So like starting caffeine, I had experience in marketing, but I did not have, have a college degree in it. And for, I, I think not necessarily out of necessity, but I never really questioned um, my ability to do it in relation to a college degree where I feel like a lot of people would, um, and I, they see that as a prerequisite, but I knew that, Hey, if you're going to start your own company, it doesn't matter what your degree is. It matters your expertise and your ability to do it. And, and at some and point, you're like just level of grit, like, can you stick yeah. with it? <laughs> yeah. And you know that, I mean, it really is like, uh, you have to be humble. You have to be really gritty. Um, and you have to just learn. I mean, I, you mentioned you, you started your agency mainly starting off with video uh, or, you, you know, your production off with video and then transitioning more to strategy. I started more with social media marketing and then realized, hey, that's actually not the thing that's going to grow these small business owners company the quickest. And so then I pivoted and did more strategy and actual paid advertising instead of social media. So it's really about learning along the way. Um, and funny enough, doing the actual work of marketing made me getting made getting the degree a lot easier it only took me five months to get a marketing bachelor's degree from like zero to whatever um bachelor's degree which is super fun but i, I wouldn't have been able to do that if i didn't already know the material from experience no and, and i think that's so true that, that learning does it, it is helpful when it's more of a you know why you need to learn and you know why you need to get a skill because you've seen this is how i need to use it to to increase it and I know that's one of the things, you know, since, uh, so in terms of my background, you know, it actually was international relations and development, still do a lot of work within that space, uh, but just love doing video and, you know, just loved it. And so I just kind of kept, kept doing that process. But then along the way, I've taken multiple courses from people, uh, learning how to get better, learning strategy, learning how, what it lo looks like to pitch things. And uh, because you do have to be continually learning in, in so many ways. I, I want to go back because, because you mentioned that, you found that social media wasn't what was going to help businesses the most. And I think especially, you know, younger people who are starting up, you know, for them, you like social media just seems like, you know, Hey, this is like, this is where it's at. This is where everyone spends their time. But you're saying, eh, put the brakes on. Not really. What, what was it that you found actually makes a difference um, in terms of really growing things the most, not that social media doesn't work, but what did you find is actually, like helpful. 
I think it's helpful to say that there are some people on social media that are crushing it and are using it to grow their company, but it's becoming a smaller and smaller percentage every single year, I feel like, or probably even every single month because there's so much content out there. You have to be that much better than everybody else. So if you just want to post generic business tips on there, I don't think that you're going to stand out. Whereas if you're a really like gifted videographer, I feel like you have a chance to stand out um, if your content with the videography, those two paired together is really um, great. But if, even if you're a great photographer, I mean, there's so many great photographers on Instagram at this point. Um, I think it's going to be hard for even an awesome photographer to stand out. Now, I, the moment really came where I'm trying to articulate to the client why their social media, you know, they're paying us X number of dollars per month to, to shoot photos and video um, and then post that online for their company. I'm now trying to draw a return on ad spend or not ad spend necessarily, but return on investment. Cause I want to turn around and say, Hey, here's how I'm helping you grow your company. And then very quickly realized this is necessary, but yet it's not the most profitable activity. And sometimes they don't even break even on it. Um, so I personally am of the opinion, this is maybe unpopular sometimes in the marketing space that yes, you need to do social media, but it's probably not worth your resources and time to be posting every single day, unless you are a really large brand. Um, or you have really unique content, it's, you should just do the bare minimum and maintain a really high aesthetic. Uh, I think maintaining that aesthetic is really important to establish that value. Now to go back to your question about um, what is the thing that actually grows a company? It's really about having a cohesive marketing strategy and taking people through that process. The actual tools that you might use during that process could vary from company to company, but you're taking people from brand awareness consideration to conversion. So you have to make them aware of you. You have to remind them that you exist and that you solve a problem and you have to make it really easy for them to want to work with you. And if you can do those three, three things through advertising, through a lead generating PDF on your uh, website or follow-up emails or text messages, all of those things are tools that help people move through that process. No, that, that is really helpful. And, and so do you find too that as you're working with people, does it tend to vary a little bit by sector in terms of the types of businesses? So let's say, obviously, someone who's more like a lifestyle photographer, they might do better on having Facebook and people taking pictures. But then I know also when you look at businesses, like whether it's business, especially business to businesses, B2B, where you're kind of offering services that are maybe a little more technical, you know, how much do you find are people actually just trolling Facebook or, or YouTube for stuff, or how much of it is it, you know, they're looking to have their problem solved in a concrete way. And that's when your lead magnet needs to show up. And, and also too, do you find a difference between, for example, let's say looking at the jewelry business, if you sold jewelry to consumers, would something like a lead magnet tend to work? Or in that case, is it more of you're selling the emotion of the jewelry and you're better off spending more time on branding. It's like, how do you find that balance between branding and clarity and the mix and the, the spectrum and where are the businesses that you found you, you tend to work with the most? Uh, so I realized that was a lot. lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot there to answer. Let me try. Um, so platform to platform, I feel like varies um, on your objective. So let's say you're trying to target like financial advisors, for example, we're currently doing that for a client. They want to target existing financial advisors. Um, she coaches female financial advisors. We can't necessarily target females. That's not an option on LinkedIn. Um, I think that's would be considered discrimination at this point. Um, but she only serves female clients. So it would make sense to only show it to female clients. So anyway, um, for her, that makes sense because 
we have really great targeting for that specific um, job title on LinkedIn. It's we're going to try Facebook as well, but most likely we're going to have the best targeting for professional experience, like professional services on LinkedIn. But LinkedIn is incredibly more expensive than Facebook, Instagram, Google, YouTube, because they have a floor to their pricing. So if you do not have a high ticket product or service, LinkedIn is probably not a good option. Facebook is the best ads platform. I mean, I, some people might try to say Google is, but I think that they're crazy. Um, I really like Facebook's ads platform because it has the best targeting, um, the best user interface. You can get really technical um, and really complex with your advertising campaigns and it can be really, really profitable. So I like Facebook and I love to try that with clients. Even if we think um, there's like a professional service and less of e-commerce, um, I like to try it out on there. At one point we had a client who had a $7,000 service but we were getting them leads for $50 and they were able to convert like one out of four of those leads. So I think that it means that we're paying $200 per new client and they had $7,000 um, of revenue coming in and they had like little to no expenses on that. So it was like highly profitable on Facebook. And we thought, all right, let's just give it a shot. Let's try it. E-commerce. Um, I always start with Facebook and Google advertising. Um, if you have the margin, Google dynamic shopping um, is great. And if, you know, you might have some really fierce competition there and that might price you out of the game. So it's really important to have a great sales funnel. But Facebook is um, probably the least expensive in a lot of ways because you're bidding against the masses and not necessarily the person who's searching for like um, wine, for example. So say you're trying to sell wine, which I don't think that you can sell that on Facebook. Sell you might wine. be able to. Yeah, but let's go with mugs. But let's say mugs are really expensive these days and there was a ton of competition on mugs. Um, at that point, uh, you could expect to pay $3 per click uh, for a mug. So you wanna make sure that you have a high conversion rate on the mug because a lot of people actually wanna bid to you know, show Get up mugs. for mugs. Right, whereas on Facebook, you're not necessarily targeting people who are searching mugs. You're just targeting people who might like coffee. And so there's a lot of people that might like coffee at that moment. So there's less competition and therefore the price is a lot lower. So I generally, Facebook's a good option to try. Google is also a pretty decent option to try. LinkedIn is good, but you have to have the specific markup for it. And then, um, you know, there's a bunch of other advertising out there as well. Like TikTok ads are now available. Um, we'll see if they're still allowed in the US after a couple months. But um, yeah, it's all, you just choose the platform, you track the return on investment. Um, and I think great tracking is a key to see what kind of advertising is profitable. Yeah, I think everyone just has to kind of check and, and see what's working and obviously keep doing what, what works. So so I'm curious, you mentioned sales funnels. Do you find, do you need a more developed sales funnel for the more complicated of a project? So for example, if you're selling coffee mugs versus a financial service, do you think you equally need a sales funnel for that mug? Or are people more likely to say, I want that mug, let me buy it, versus the $7,000 financial product? It's going to take a little more, like, you need a sales funnel to, to make that big higher commitment. Yeah. So think of it in this way, like the sales process for a $7,000 or let's just go 10, 10 to $7,000 uh, product. There's a lot more consideration that goes into that. But also at the same time, when it's a business, I, for whatever reason, I'm happy to spend a thousand dollars for my business. If, it, if I think it's going to grow my company versus spending a thousand dollars of a personal expense, like I will oh, totally. agonize. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I will agonize over a thousand dollar personal expense, but if it's my business, I'm just like, 
here's my credit card, swipe, won't even think about it. So there is that element to it, I feel like. Um, however, the higher ticket item, you have to think what's at risk for the person who might potentially buy the product or service. That's what they're trying to evaluate. So you need more time to educate them. And generally it's a longer sales process, the longer um, the actual, um, or the higher the actual ticket number. But I would say, you know, part of your other question was, what's the sales process look like for a mug versus a uh, financial services? Generally, uh, and the product side, you can do some sort of discount for like a new buyer. That's the easiest way to get their contact information. So 10 to 15% off is probably sufficient to get their email. And at that point, you can send them a banded cart emails. You can send them a welcome flow series. You can send them upsell and cross sell campaigns all within emails. And that, in my opinion, would be considered part of a sales process. Whereas on the B2B side or the service-based industry, you really need to educate people. Most likely that's going to look like a free guide on your website. Um, I saw something really interesting the other day. I don't, I'm not going to write a book probably for any time soon, uh, but I look at this. It's a big website. commitment. Yeah. And I'm not ready to make that commitment yet, but I want to at some point. And she has a thing where she says, pay $50 to sign up for uh, 180 writing prompts every other day. So she'll send you an email every other day. So that's a low ticket transitional call to action, which is really a lead gen for her to write a book for you, which would probably cost you know thirty to fifty thousand dollars. So um, that was an example of a sales funnel, even though you have to pay to be a part of that sales funnel. Okay. So, so you do still find that even no matter what kind of product it is, you still want to have some sort of campaign attached to it to stay at the forefront of people's minds no matter whether it's a, a simple coffee mug or a, you know, a bigger piece of uh, some sort of financial product or something that's seemingly more expensive. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that there's great ways to incorporate video in there as well. Um, sometimes video doesn't perform as well on um, advertising, not always, but it just kind of depends. Like you could do a long form story video, which could be beautiful um, and highly effective in this, like the first email that people get in a sales funnel because they're really interested in the product or service. And those are really qualified people who are probably willing to watch all three to five minutes of the video. Whereas if you show a three to five minute video on a YouTube ad, people are probably gonna skip it after the first five seconds. So it's you know really just about educating people as to what problem that you solve and how you're gonna make their life better. I know completely. And I think that's one of the big things that I've seen looking at how video has changed over the last, let's say like decade or so is I think initially people thought they could just create video and have it be about how awesome they were and um, highlight kind of promote themselves. And then, but you know, now 2020, no one really cares how awesome you are, but they do want to know if you're going to solve their problems and, and what that's going to, going to look like. Yep. There's a new car coming out or SUV, whatever you want to call it by Ford. It's, it's the, called the Bronco, but if you didn't already know, there was a Bronco before this. So they're like re-releasing. They brought it back. They brought it back, yep. Um, and the commercial that they released for it is incredible. I mean, it, you have to check it out after this. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily explicitly talk about the problem that it solves, but it talks about the aspirational identity. And it also almost talks about the problem in a way that says, Hey, you know, you were meant for more than average and like you were meant to go in the wild um, and you were meant to roam the wild. And so it just, it's so cool. And that uh, it basically is taking you into a story instead of 
here's the spec list on the Bronco. It's got 14 inches of ground clearance. Uh, it's a 235 horsepower hybrid engine. It's, you know, this many miles a gallon. So instead of talking spec sheets about how awesome they are, they engage you in a story and they say, hey, um, you are built for the wild and we're going to help you get there, if that makes sense. Definitely. I mean, it sounds like we're really kind of going down as, you know, I'm a big fan of a story brand. I know you are a story brand certified guide. Uh, you know, for those who, who might not be familiar, you know, with it, you know, I know what, what is that basic premise within story brand? I mean, I know you can check it out, obviously storybrand.com, but how, how have you find, how have you found that having that, that workflow of inviting people into a story has, has changed the way you do marketing and, you know, can you give just a, a short, brief introduction to StoryBrand for those who might not be aware of it? Yeah, so I'll start with how effective StoryBrand has been, and then I'll kind of share a little bit about it. Um, one of my partners, we decided to, you know, he had an existing business, we decided to partner together. I came in as a minority partner, and we we did a little bit more advertising than he did beforehand, but in reality, a lot of what we did was change his messaging. And last August, he sent me a text and said, hey man, um, it's the 5th of August, and we've already 4X'd what we've done the entire month last year. So by the 5th, we'd already 4X what we'd done for that entire month for this since the previous year. And most of that was due to the messaging and using the StoryBrand messaging framework and reinforcing it through ads. Uh, but I would give 50% of the credit to that, to StoryBrand. What StoryBrand is, is it's a seven-part seven part messaging framework created by a guy named Donald Miller in Nashville. And what it does is it takes people through the seven elements of any story um, that screenwriters and movies have been using forever. Um, and what it does is it defines who is the customer, what do they want, what's the problem that gets in the way, and then how can you as the, the you know business owner or person that's marketing the services solve that problem for them? So instead of, and this is the maybe a foundational principle of StoryBrand is that you are no longer the hero of your own marketing story. Your goal in that moment is to play the guide. And so it's less about you and it's more about your customer and how you're gonna help them win the day. And you also, in addition to helping them win the day, you need to make it really easy to work with you. So identifying, hey, what are the three steps it takes to work with us? And then um, painting a picture of success and also letting them know what's at risk if they don't work with you. So we call that avoiding failure. So. You know, working with you might be a greater return on your investment. Uh, it might be more peace in your life. Uh, it might be a wild, out outrageous lifestyle with the new Ford Bronco. Uh, or settling in that moment might be like settling for average. So like what the Ford Bronco does is it helps you avoid living an average life or being stuck in the city, something like that. It lets you get out, but it but invites you into a story where it's not so much about, Hey, this car is awesome, but it's more of like, you will become like awesome. But we just, you just need this car to, to, to be able to do this awesome stuff. And yep. hundred percent. Not just go from your parking lot to work in the store and back, but you can go off roading and stuff like that, which, um, which is a lot of fun, but, um, you just have to be careful. Bad things can happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I went, I went off roading a little bit with a rental car and, um, back in, uh, February in Israel and got a flat tire and, um, Oh no. Yeah. It was like stuck by the side of the road for three hours, but it was a lot of fun. So yeah. Fun. Being stuck in Israel on the side of the road for three hours does not sound fun to me, but that's okay. Yeah. It, it was like, <laughs> by the dead there does. <laughs> it, it, it was by the, by the dead sea. So it was, it was scenic, but, uh, but yeah, before sure. it, it, it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was just stuck in a foreign country on the side of the road for three hours. It's fine. It was fine. Uh, uh, I had a f- cell phone, water. It wasn't too hot. It was good. <laughs> yeah, that does sound cool, though. Off-roading into the country would be legit. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, decided I, sh- I shouldn't do that alone uh, in the future. Next time, I'll take my wife with me because she'll help me not go down certain like roads that are bad or stuff like that. So, um, but, but sure. that's, a, that's a separate story. You can check it out on my Instagram channel though, uh, and, and see it. Um, but you know, I, I especially would love to d- dive in, kind of given your background and experience. Um, work because so personally, I too have been trying to figure out how nonprofits. Um, even you know churches, church groups, groups that aren't necessarily directly businesses or even higher education, how they can take advantage of the kind of like the lead generation process, because I think it's it's clear that businesses solve a problem and you know they can kind of present a solution to the problem, whether it's a guide or something like that that gets people on the email list, right. and creating a sales funnel. I've still been trying to figure out how do nonprofits. Um, you know, you know, churches in that space create content like that that serves as as kind of that lead magnet. Do you have any thoughts and ideas on on how they can be doing that? Because I think I have definitely seen how they have been adapting store brand principles in terms of clarity of the website, you know, clear call to action, three step process. But I'm still struggling with what that lead magnet process looks like for groups in that nonprofit space. Do you have any thoughts there on on, on what you've seen people do? Yeah. So. I don't work with churches often. Um, I, I did, by coincidence, was working on a brand script last week with the church. Um, and I think what's interesting about a church with a brand script and their messaging, as well as their sales process, quote unquote sales process, hopefully, you know, churches are not in it for money. They're in to make an impact, but they actually yeah. need money to pay the bills. So when I say sales process, I'm not being like, I hope it's not, it didn't come across weird. That's oh, just no, yeah. I think about it's, it. just, it's just the business terminology, yeah. Yeah, it's the business terminology. We would have something else. We would call it a, you know, attraction funnel or something like that. Yeah, um, growth a track or something. Yes, totally. Um, something that didn't feel weird. But in my head, I think it's a sales funnel. So as I look at messaging, it can be really tricky with nonprofits. Um, less with nonprofits and more churches because there's a theological aspect to it. So you have to like kind of, can we actually solve that problem? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they want to be close to God. I think we could solve that, but like. Can we? So there's like this, all these nuances that you actually have to be be able to be able to deliver on whatever uh, problem that you present. So if you introduce a problem, you should be able to solve that problem for them. As far as the lead magnet goes, or the what I would call the transitional call to action. So that's and and why a transitional call to action matters is if somebody's not ready to buy your product or service or donate to your organization or show up on a Sunday, they need some sort of plan B or something that seems a little bit more approachable. So if the show up on Sunday is the equivalent of, Hey, will you marry me? The transitional call to action is, Hey, let's go on a date first. Let's go grab coffee. You know, let's just get to know one another a little bit. And what I find for churches, these pre pre COVID, um, a great transitional call to action is watch online. So watch the service online because they can do that at their own convenience. And so if you could have your top right button, be on your website, make that be a 10 Sunday or plan a visit or um, show up. I don't know, whatever you want to make that button. And then the transitional call to action right there could be watch online. I feel like that would be a great you know, option. Nonprofits, I think you could take two approaches with the messaging. One we, we call like a mission-based brand script or a donor-based brand script. One, the mission is where you're saying, hey, here's what we're doing. Um, here's the problem in the world. Here's how we're making the impact. Where the donor based the donor based messaging or brand script is saying, "Hey, here's the problem in the world. 
you can solve that problem. Donate here. And for lack of, you know, to simplify it. In that moment, as I look at the donor base brand script and I would look about a lead magnet, I might be interested in something if I'm wanting to like, you know, get more into philanthropy or whatever, or donate more money. I would be looking for five ways that I want to think of an organization, Charity Water um, makes it, not necessarily makes a bigger impact than other companies or organizations, but like five ways Charity Water um, makes an impact with your donation, something like that. Something that educates me on why Charity Water or the nonprofit out there uniquely helps other people and why I should give them my money and I shouldn't give somebody else their money. So that's the donor-based version of a transitional call to action or a lead generating PDF is something that educates people on why they should uniquely work with you. The mission-based one, um, I think you have to talk about potentially your people that you serve. So like, let's say, I don't know why this is maybe cliche, but like a homeless, like a food bank, let's, let's go food bank. So a food bank in this moment, they could be speaking to their clients and it would be really easy um, to talk about, Hey, life happened. Um, COVID right happened. <laughs> COVID happened. Um, and you need, you need some more food. Um, that's okay. You know, we've all been there before. We're here to help. Um, step one is, pick up, you know, plan a pickup. That would could be their direct call to action, but a transitional call to action could be like, um, what's required or like what meals are available or, um, five ways the local harvest food bank can help you. You know what I mean? So something what you're like doing that. is you're just making, yeah, something that is just super easy. If you think this is the thing that we want them to do. Okay. What are they probably thinking of themselves? Uh, that's, an over like a objection that they have to overcome and then overcome that with a PDF. So like five ways that financial advisors can help you make more money. Cause you're probably thinking to yourself, is this really necessary? And then that PDF is going to answer that question for you. Okay. And then you th still find that even for someone who's in that nonprofit space, that that something like why, you know, this or, or why our organization is doing something. If you make it look at enough, it is possible to get people to, to give you their email address in exchange for it um as an option because because no one's really going to sign up for a newsletter necessarily um no <laughs> like oh let me sign up for and unless i mean i think i sign up for people's newsletters when i'm like producing content for them and i want to see what they do um uh, you know yeah um or or just goes and so i think another challenge too i'd be curious is especially with the way gmail structures everything with like promotions um mm. what is it social like primary, you want to make sure you can get into the primary account. And so I just like newsletters, I think I know for me, most newsletters, unless I had to opt in or confirm something, they automatically get sent to the promotion and I never see them. Do you find how do you help avoid that? And is there some sort of opt in process or that actually allows you to, to make sure you stay in people's primary account? Yeah, there's a couple of things that you can do to improve the health of your email list. Like a double opt-in is great because it really ensures that these are legit people and they really want to get your emails. Um, that definitely helps. Uh, another interesting one is like plain text emails. So like just like we would type an email out to each other. Like that simple of an email um, is generally really high converting. And so even in the e-commerce space, when you, know, you would think products are so um, visual, which they are, but 
for some reason, plain text emails sometimes convert a lot better than a very high designed email. I mean, MailChimp is great and the emails look great, but sometimes just a plain old email will actually get into that primary inbox before it goes into the promotions tab because Google's going to look at all of the images and all the videos on it and go, I don't know. But you if you can just have a, that. yeah, that, totally. That looks like looks like you're trying to sell something there. Yeah, hundred percent. Like it's got flashing gifts on it. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I would, I would, if I was going to leverage video into an email, I think the best way to do it wouldn't be to embed the video on the email. It would be to have a link to it in a plain text email to somebody else. Like, hey, um, I heard that you know you might be interested in this. Here's five ways that our company can help you solve this problem. Something like that. And then click on that, and it takes them to a video. No, that, that totally makes sense. And so, do you find with Google, and when you double opt in, does your address box somehow um, know that hey, because you opted in, you actually want to get this? Do you know how that works? I can give you my guess at it. Um, I guess no, I no one really like, knows how Google works, uh, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Um, I, I think it probably has an element to do with your you're going in and finding that email. So if it lands in your spam and you go in and locate that email and then click it and opt into it, Google's probably going to go, oh, okay, they they want these emails. You know, they're gonna they're gonna understand that you went to go find that email as soon as you got it, and then you clicked on it that would probably indicate that you might want more of those emails. Okay. So, so making sure you can do that is more like a flag. Cause I think that that is one of the big issues is making sure that people actually get your email once you've signed up for it. Yeah. Cause you could have a 15% open rate and that's really not going to help you. I mean, you want people actually opening your emails and clicking on them. And even if it's not a email, that's like, Hey, buy our product or service immediately from the get go. You want people to be trained subconsciously to be clicking on your emails. So we put a newsletter out, which is not publicly um, broadcasted, but it's called uh, Mondays Americano. And on Monday, you get an email update from me. Uh, but in it, it's very similar to plain text, and it's got a lot of links in it, and they're all really fun links to click on. Like, oh, here's the mug that I bought this weekend. Um, somebody go buy this Ford Raptor before I buy this Ford Raptor. Um, and here's the la latest five things going on in the business and marketing space this week. So in that email, um, I'm training them to click on these links so that whenever I'm like, Hey, I need more leads this month. I can just send that email out to them and they're already trained to click on the links subconsciously from caffeine or, or me. No, that is actually a really interesting point. Just train them to the, Hey, you're going to give them cool stuff to click on. Uh, you know, I'm really curious, how much time do you find the, when it comes to all of the marketing work that you spend doing, you know, for yourself or caffeine marketing, how much, if you had to estimate ballpark percentages of time that you spend creating stuff, how much of it is blogging, how much of it's emailing, you know, in terms of percentages of marketing. Cause I think that's one of the thing too, where as people are starting their businesses, there, some people are spending, I need to spend all my time on, you know, LinkedIn or, or posting content, uh, you know, respond, harding every comment. Um, but how do you spend your time? Little to no time posting on social media, maybe 15 minutes or less. If I do post on social media, um, I share stuff. So like if I, uh, I'm on a podcast, whatever, I'll share that because I want to like, you know, basically give back to people that were willing to have me on, but I don't necessarily create my own content for LinkedIn. I will sometimes share a blog that, you know, I've written on LinkedIn or, or my Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but it's generally, I'm cross promoting that, 
you know, so that my Instagram audience will see the blog content or vice versa. So if I look at, so for caffeine, generally we either have freelancers or internal people who actually write those, those blogs. Um, but the number of hours that we probably spend per week doing that is probably three, three or four, somewhere in there. Um, so they'll write it, they'll send it to me. Um, I'll edit it. Um, and then I'll post it and then I'll probably share it. So probably about three to four hours. And then emails, I probably spend mm, two hours, like not responding to emails, but like creating an email newsletter. Um, so that's probably most of the time. And then all the ads campaigns, but most of those I set up and then I just monitor. So I might check and I might spend three minutes monitoring that email or that uh, advertising campaign that day, but I've already set it up. But the initial setup takes a couple hours for sure. Okay. And, and do you have your advertising going to your lead magnets? That's a great question. Um, sometimes like I like lead magnets. This again, this is not necessarily a story brand opinion and some people might think differently. I love to have the direct call to action from the beginning. So I like to have the first ad that I run be, Hey, will you want to work with us? Because in my opinion, that qualifies them. So whenever they go onto my website and they download my PDF, I know that those people are pretty qualified at that point because they're looking for that. Um, I had a post on the Enneagram, like a blog post that was like ranking eighth for the Enneagram, but it was about Enneagram in business, um, which I don't think it's ranking eighth anymore. <laughs> I think it plummeted because I wrote another blog on Enneagram, but that's another SEO conversation later. Um, but anyway, the people that were signing up for that were not necessarily qualified for my email list. So it's not the worst thing in the world because those people want to know about the Enneagram, but they may not be business owners or marketing leaders. So it's okay. I want to start with the direct call to action in the beginning. Again, this is not a right or wrong. This is just Evan's two cents on it. And I'd be willing to try something else if a client said, Hey, can you try this way? I'd go, yeah, sure. Whatever. Um, we can give a shot. But I personally, on our own campaigns, I like to do the direct call to action. Hey, do you want to work with caffeine? We're helping you grow your company through paid advertising, emails, whatever. Um, and then I'll send them a retargeting ad for the free guide on our website. No, well, I think that makes a lot of sense because that way you're not just getting people who want the thing, but they're actually getting people who say, yes, I do like the idea of working with someone. I need someone to help. I need a digital marketing agency in my life. Ooh, I'm not sure if I'm ready to make the call yet. Uh, ready to job, request a call or get a quote, but Hey, guess what? Here's some more info about them. Like, so I, I think there could be a lot of validity uh, to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, so far it's worked out pretty well, but I mean, there might be, you know, if you have a less qualified or not necessarily a less qualified audience, but like a more broad audience, um, of people that you might serve, then a free PDF might be great. So like StoryBrand, for example, um, StoryBrand often advertises their lead gen first. And I could see how that's probably a good idea for them because really it's anybody who uses words to sell. So any copywriter, any business owner, business leader, um, any marketing, even a marketing assistant or coordinator really all can use StoryBrand. So it's probably fine. They do the, the lead gen from the get go. No, I think that makes sense. Now, Evan, well, thanks so much for, for being on the podcast. No, really appreciate it. Uh, you know, if people want to learn more about you, where's the best place for them to go? Uh, either caffeine marketing. So caffeine.marketing, no.com, just caffeine.marketing or evannox.com and we'll love to chat. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll have them check out. Is there anything right now that you say is your best tool uh, that people should check out, whether it's a lead magnet or a uh, helpful tool? What are you currently pushing? Is there anything in particular you're pushing or excited about? Yeah. So I've got a free guide on my website. It's called how to build a winning sales funnel. 
and it will teach you everything from your website to that free PDF to all the follow-up email series. Um, and it'll, it's like Legos, like a Lego kit. It'll teach you step-by-step -step how to do that with a checklist and it's really easy to do. So um, if you're responsible for the marketing and growing your company, then go ahead and check out that um, PDF and that's on both websites. All right, I'll, I'll have the, it sounds like a great link and uh, I'll have to check it out myself. And I, I know, always find it helpful just seeing what people are doing and you can actually learn a lot from people's sales funnels by just taking notes and saying what are they doing uh and then i mean some it might it might throw off your seo if it's just people trying to learn from you um but uh, in terms it's of, fine <laughs> but it, but yeah, it is always helpful it. it establishes it you as a is rip it off <laughs> no but establishes you at, you know as a credible credible process so la la last question before we go do you have any um do you have any routines that you've established in your life that you feel like are essential for um, just ha help having things roll? Ha ha what do your routines look like? Yeah, I'm obsessed um, with like processes and systems. Um, and so it's definitely looked different um, in light of sheltering place starting. Um, and then also it now not being shelter in place, but also still being the COVID era. Um, so I'll just say what it looks like now. So we've got an 11 month old. I mean, I know you have kids. I, I get up before five and I start working at five and I work until uh, my son wakes up and then I'll go work out. Cause I can't, I just, I'm just so distracted. I cannot work out when he's right there. Um, and it's not his fault. You know, he's yep. a kid. I love him 11 months. Yeah. I mean, what are you gonna do? You know? So I just, I get up early. I work. Um, and then I work out and then generally my wife will go to work at that point and she'll drop him off at daycare. And then I will, um, probably do my quiet time, read and pray and stuff like that. Um, and then I'll get more work done the rest of the day until like five 30 or so. And then I've got like a shutdown ritual while I'll write down all my to do's for the day. Um, but yeah, it generally starts with getting up, making it happen. Um, uh, but before it had a lot more to do with quiet time and meditation, which I'm still incorporating, but uh, I need to make that more on the schedule. So. No, sounds good. I, it is true that the kids just kind of, they can kind of mess up your morning routines because um, depending on how yeah. many times they woke up in the night or anything like that, sometimes you're just not as ready to uh, to, to get started right away when they were yeah. up or, yeah, so it definitely can relate there. But something I know, that's something I've been trying to incorporate too is just really refine what, what my morning routines and kind of like shut down routines at, at night look like. So just mm -hmm. always helpful to hear. So. Well, thanks so much, Evan, for being on the podcast. It's been great having you. Yeah, that was just a lot of great tips for for marketing. And because everyone really, any anyone who works in any kind of marketing sales process needs to understand some of these just very fundamental uh, processes and um, ways of doing things. So thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. And that wraps up another episode. I hope you had some great takeaways. I know I have always struggled with my sales funnel process. In part, it was because I already had a big enough network of people that knew me and trusted my work that for the video side of things, I didn't really have to have a sales funnel in order to succeed. But at the same time, I was also reaching kind of a cap in terms of growth where it was a little bit harder to grow beyond a certain point unless I was gonna really up my sales process game. But now that I'm in the process of planning my next steps and growing my coaching business, I absolutely need uh, my sales funnel game, and that's something I'm working on over this next quarter. If you enjoyed hear hearing about StoryBrand, you can go back and check out episode two, way back at the beginning with Angie Schultz, as she was one of StoryBrand's first certified guides. You'll find a lot more great info about the topic with her in that conversation. 
I hope you'll join me next week when I'm back with Eric Fisher, the podcast host of the show Beyond the To-Do List. He has an amazing story of going from being a C student who struggled with ADHD to being one of the top productivity podcast hosts in the world. You won't want to miss next week's. Until then, have a good one.